0: God's good, isn't he? God's so good to us. And uh, it's just wonderful to be in his presence, to know his presence, to know his healing touch. And uh, just to, I felt my faith rise this morning, even just seeing people going and praying for others and for healing and for God's intervention and to hear Theo's story. And I'm sure there'll be other stories out there as well, but it's just good, just good to be in the presence of God, isn't it? wonder if we can pray. Father, we are so, so thankful for your goodness in our lives. So, so grateful for all that you have done for us. And so thankful that we can sit here this morning as your sons and daughters, worshipping you glorifying you, knowing the touch of your spirit. And so, Father, as we come to your word now, would you open it up to us? Would you reveal new things to us? Would you stir our hearts, not just fill our minds? And, God, would we be transformed because we've encountered you this morning? Amen. Uh, How many of you use Facebook? OK. OK. Excellent. If you do, then um, you will uh, frequently be reminded of past events. Now, maybe you check it on your phone or something. You look at your phone. You've got a notification from Facebook. And so you kind of go into Facebook, click on the notification. And there it is. Eight years ago. A picture of your flat tire. And it's like, great. Um, or six years ago. The pudding that you designed, (laughs) that you decided was worthy of publicizing to the world. And Facebook six years later goes, remember you did this? And sometimes those reminders are of important events and sometimes less important events. It probably depends on what you choose to post on Facebook. But um, recently, I, had, I, I rarely post anything on Facebook, so, but I kept, tend to be tagged into things that uh, my wife uh, posts on Facebook. And so I had a three-year reminder. And uh, it was a, a photo appeared of Joseph, our eldest son, in uh, what looked like bright, shiny new school uniform. It's a bit strange. Start of May, new school uniform. What happened? And then I thought, ah, 3 years ago we moved to Solihull and he went into nursery at the start of May and that just got me on a train of thinking about so why did we move to Solihull it was to be part of jubilee <laughs> excellent and why did that happen well god told us to he spoke so very clearly to us and If you hear our story, there's a whole load of God interventions on the way that convinced us that this was the place where he wanted us. And then on the way, we had to sell a house that happened miraculously and buy a house that God hugely blessed us with. And so suddenly I found myself going, wow, isn't God good? Three years and this has all happened. That's amazing. So thank you, Facebook, for the reminder. (laughs) But the photograph told a story that reminded me of the goodness of God. And remembering can be a really powerful thing to do. And remembering when God prompts it is a very good thing to do. And the account we're going to look at today is an occasion when Israel remembered. And so while you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 7, I'll bring you up to speed on the story so far. So 1 Samuel chapter 7. Basically, things are in a bit of a mess. The Philistines, who are neighbours of Israel, have defeated Israel. They've captured the Ark of the Covenant and taken it away with them. Now, the Ark of the Covenant symbolised the presence of God in the middle of the nation. So it was really important that they had the Ark of God. And its loss implies that God had left them, God had departed. In fact, on the day that it was captured, a baby boy was born and they called him Ichabod. The glory has departed. And the story basically goes that the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in their city called Ashdod. And they placed it in the temple of their god Dagon to show that he was more powerful than God. Well, unfortunately, they woke up the next morning and the idol had fallen over. They thought, oh, that's a bit strange. Well, we'll put it back up again. So they did. Next morning they went in. Not only had the idol fallen over, but his head had come off and his arms had come off. And the people of the city of Ashdod began to break out in massive tumours. And there was a plague of mice. Not very pleasant. So the people of Ashdod thought, we're not having this. We'll pass it along to our friends in Gath. They can have the Ark of the Covenant. So they sent that down there and guess what happened? They broke out in tumours and God struck the city. So they thought, well, we're not having that either. And they passed it on to their friends down the road in Ekron, who said, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not coming in here. And so they sent it back into Israel. And so the Ark went back into Israel and it was kept at a place called Kiriath-Jerim. And that's where we pick up the story. So 1 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim took the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, "'If you return to the Lord with all your heart,' Remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it. For a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them. So they were routed against Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as Beth-kar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come any more within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities of the Philistines, uh, the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron, even to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. So there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So, the story we'd seen, the ark had got back to Israel and that was a kind of a prompt for the Israelites to know they needed to get right with God. And so led by Samuel, this, the, the last of the judges, um, he led the nation in recommitting themselves to God. And we read there in that passage, that process of repentance and of restoration, getting back right with God. And it's in that moment, when they're getting things straight again, the opposition arrives. But God helps. That's the main point of the story. God helps. And so significant was the help. They were gathered to, for, a, for a service, basically, a sacrifice and a recommitment. They weren't armed for battle. But the Philistines attacked and God's help Involved sending the Philistines packing, routing them, this mighty nation. And so significant was the event that Samuel takes this stone and sets it up and says, this far has the Lord helped us. Ebenezer, this far has the Lord helped us. And I wonder whether the setting up of a stone to us, seems a bit strange. We, we don't kind of do it. I don't think I've ever set up a stone anywhere. No. But for the Israelites, this was something they did. And the reason is, this, there was plentiful amount of stone in Palestine. And so they were able to set them up. It was a permanent reminder. Stone doesn't kind of rot away or anything. It's just there. And as the people would then pass by, they would be reminded of the events. And so we read of a number of these. I'm just going to highlight a few of them. There's, there's the stone at Bethel. This is possibly the most important event in Jacob's life. So back in Genesis 28, he leaves home and he's approaching a new country. And he spends the night at Bethel. And so he lies down forgot to pack his pillow, so he gets a stone and uses that instead. And God appears to him in a dream. And you'll know the dream, the, the ladder ascending to heaven with angels going up and down. And he wakes up in the morning and he says, surely God is in this place. And he names it Bethel, which means house of God. So that, that pillow that he turns into a pillar... The stone of remembrance is all about the presence of God. It's the stone of the presence of Bethel. Or you might know about the stone at Mizpah, the stone of peace. A bit later on in Jacob's story, things get a bit tense in the family. To be honest, Jacob's a bit of a mess, but God uses him anyway, which is encouragement to all of us. But he flees from Laban, his uncle. And Laban doesn't like that because he's taken all of his... Daughters, you know, grandchildren and everything and flocks. And so he pursues them. And he catches up and they have this confrontation. And they decide to agree to set up a witness stone, a stone of peace. And they say to each other, may the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent from one another. And this pillar is a witness that. I won't pass by it to harm you and you won't pass by it to harm me. And so every time they went along that route, they would see the stone and go, yeah, we're not going to harm each other. This is a stone of peace between us. But it's the stone that was the reminder. Or you might know about the stone on the Jordan, the stone of possession or inheritance. The people of Israel have come, wandered around in the desert for a generation. And then they're about to cross over into the the promised land. And there's a problem called the Jordan River because there's no bridges across. And so the priests go with the Ark of the Covenant and stand in the middle of the river and it dries up. And the people of Israel pass through. And as they get to the other side, Joshua says, hold it, priests, don't move. Just hold that Ark a little bit longer. Twelve of you. Some big stones from the middle of the river, and they take them to the bank and they set up a monument on the bank. We're in. We've been in the desert, and now we're in. Into the promised land. And this is what he says in, to the people of Israel at this point in uh, Joshua chapter 4. He says, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Not just a pile of stones, not just to say, ha, ha, we got it from the middle of the river, but to say, God did this. That's the reminder. Or you might know about the stone of Shechem. The stone of promise at the end of Joshua's life. And he was an old, old man who'd walked with God all his life. He gathers the people together and they recommit themselves to God. You can read about it in Joshua chapter 24. But the people say, we're going to follow God. And he says, you'll never do it. And they say, we're going to say we're going to do it anyway. And then Joshua says to them, behold, this stone that he set up at Shechem shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us, for thus it shall be a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. You see, the Israelites were used to setting up stones when God had intervened. Setting up stones at prominent places and at prominent opportunities to remind themselves of what God had done. And Ebenezer was an example of that. This far has the Lord helped us. It was absolutely appropriate for them to set up a stone to say this far has the Lord helped us. And just as I was preparing this, I felt that this morning there would be some of us who need to set up a stone. It might not be a physical stone, but a metaphorical stone where you say, this Father, Lord, has helped us. Why? Because it reminds us of God's actions in our lives. If we think about what those stones were about, it was about the presence of God. If you have ever known the presence of God, set up a stone. His presence is with you. If you've ever known the peace of God, you can set up a stone. If you've ever known the help of God, you can set up a stone and say, this far has God helped me. If you've never ever known What it is to inherit a little bit of the promise that he has for you. Then set up a stone. Why? Because we need them. We need them to help us remember what God has done. And in fact, it's not really about the stone. It's about the story that the stone represents. The stone itself is kind of neither here nor there. It's when you look at the stone, you remember the story. I look at that Facebook reminder, and it's not that Joseph looks smart and handsome in his school uniform. It's the fact that behind it is a story that points me back to what God has done in our lives. And we have these personal reminders, and they'll take all sorts of shapes and sizes and forms. So I wear a wedding ring. That reminds me that on the day we got married, Beck loved me. (laughs) The fact I've still got it on means she still does. So that's good. But I travel a lot in my work. On my bag, I've got a little photograph of my two sons. And every so often, I catch a glimpse of it and I remember them. And that makes me happy. Not that I'm away from them, but that God's blessed me with sons. In our loft, we've got childhood boxes, we call them. And it's basically a box of pretty much a load of tat to anyone else. But to us, and we've got one each. There are four of them there. Full of artifacts, trinkets, photographs, little memories, stamp collections. That remind us of stuff from when we were small, a box full of memories. And we have these personal reminders that remind us of important events or important people in our lives. But we also remember things as a nation, just like Israel did with these events. But I was trying to think of what our national days of, of remembering are. I didn't come up with a very strong list, to be fair, when you compare it with some other nations. So I I, I got to the 5th of November. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. So we remember a failed overthrow of Parliament. Yeah, I was confused too. Um, 23rd of April, St. George's Day. Shakespeare's birthday. You know... Is this important in our national psyche? I'm not sure. I don't really know who who St. George was. I believe he fought a dragon, but, you know, it's not something, maybe it's because I'm Welsh. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but as a nation, we don't really make that much of a deal of it compared to other nations. The one thing we do make a deal of is the 11th of November, Armistice Day. And the Sunday nearest to it we call Remembrance Sunday. And we use that symbol of the poppy as a reminder, don't we, of the fact that men and women over the years have fought and given their lives for our freedom in this nation. And we do do that one properly, I think, as a nation. But the fireworks and the poppies and the St. George's Cross The symbols in and of themselves are not that important. What's important is what they represent. What's important is the story behind the symbol. The story behind these stones. And so Israel's story is no different. They as a nation had significant days they remembered. And it began to get me to think about how they did remember as a nation how they did gather together and recall things. And one thing I noticed was the Sabbath. Now, if I asked you, why did the Israelites keep the Sabbath, what would you say? Because they were commanded to, yeah? Because God did, yeah? So if we read Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments, it says, uh, keep the Sabbath, God created the, the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh he rested. And that's the principle. And that's what I thought absolutely until a few days ago. I still think that. But if you read Deuteronomy, 5, Deuteronomy chapter five, where the Ten Commandments are reiterated, we read this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and so on. And then it says, you shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Wow. So this actually, the Sabbath, isn't really or only about God creating the earth in six days and then resting for one. It's actually because right in the heart of Israel's history, he reminds them of what they were slaves in Egypt, he reminds them of what God did, brought them out of Egypt by a strong and outstretched hand, and by implication, turned them into this free nation. That's what the Sabbath's about. So every week, they had to keep the Sabbath, which means that every week, they had to remember what they were, what God did, and what they are now. And it's the same with their other feasts, So they had three main ones. There's the, the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they're told to observe that. Why? For the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt. That was the reason. And there was the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost. Remember, you were a slave in Egypt. That's the reason for doing that feast. And then there's the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles where for a week the whole is is like national catalyst. Everyone goes and lives in a tent for a week. And the reason for that is, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse verse 42 and 3, you shall live in booths for seven days, all the native-born in Israel shall live in booths or tents. Why? So your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in tents When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. It wasn't the fact they're living in a tent that's important. It's the fact that they're living in a tent because that's what their ancestors had to do when God released them from slavery. It's about the story behind the symbol. And so, in every feast, in every festival that the Israelites celebrated, It was all about the intervention of God and what God had done in them as a nation. And so at this point, you might be thinking, well, that's very nice. He's basically told me to check Facebook more regularly, but put meaningful things on. And then a bit of a history lesson. Yeah, that's it. Should we close? (laughs) No. We're called to be... A people that remember. Remembering is part of our discipleship. And it happens again and again and again in Scripture that there's a call to remember. And the Old Testament, remember, is that picture of what things look like. And so the fact that remembering was a crucial part of of the Israelite practice as a nation, their identity as a people, so it should be for us. And so if I were to ask you to tell me something that God's done for you in the last week, what would you say? What about if I said the last month? Or what about if I said so far in 2017? Or maybe what did God do in 2016? How long would it take us to recall The intervention of God in our lives for each of those time periods. Our memory is so fragile, so flawed. We live in the moment, we live in the present. So easy for us to get caught up in what's happening here and now and forget what happened even just a few short days ago. And I think it's a sign of God's grace. In our lives that he calls us to remember. He calls us to recall and recount the truths, the stories that shape us. Where God is the the focal point. Because I know that for me, too often I'm quick to throw my hands up in the air and declare that God's abandoned me because something's gone wrong. To say that he's forgotten us to say that he's changed his mind about us. Too quickly we focus on the immediate difficulty that we're facing rather than the underlying faithfulness of God that just goes on and on and on. Too often all we can see is the as yet unpaid bill on the desk rather than the years and years of settled debts that he has provided for the faithful provision of our Heavenly Father. And I wonder whether you've been guilty, like I have, of writing off a whole year. You know, that kind of, what's the phrase, annus horribilis. Whole year, just written off in two words, because there was a bit of difficulty in it. Conveniently setting aside the constant goodness and graciousness of God. And that's not to minimise any th- of the bad things that may have happened in that year. But actually, what's our focus on? And it's precisely because tough stuff will happen, that you will get bad news, that you will have to cope with stuff that comes out of the blue. It's precisely because of that reason that we need our Ebenezer's. We need our lines in the sand that say, this far the Lord has helped us. We need our reminders. So if we go back to our story, Samuel knew that opposition would arise. He knew that enemies would again encroach on the territory. That again there would be the lure of another God that appeared attractive and shiny that the Israelites would go after. And that the nation would again forget. And Israel somehow had to be put in a place where they had a chance of remembering. And the stone at Ebenezer is one of those. And so I think one of the marks of the people of God is remembrance and the thankfulness that flows from that. You see, we don't just remember to kind of feel all warm inside. We remember so that we can direct our thanks and praise to God. So Paul writes about this a lot. Read his letters. They're just full and overflowing with this kind of thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. It's fairly comprehensive. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Philippians 1, verse 3 and 4, this is how he kicks off this awesome letter. I thank my God In all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Notice that it's about remembering and thankfulness. Remembering and thankfulness. You see, an attitude and a practice of thankfulness is only possible when we're able to remember. That's why I asked you, how long would it take to remember the hand of God in your life in 2017 so far? Because if we don't remember, then we won't be thankful. We must be a people who constantly recall and recount and remember the interventions of God in our lives. Stories are important. It's why we've been trying to hear testimonies. It's why right at the end of worship, we were encouraged that if God has done something, then let's hear about it. So, our last week we had about seven or eight different people come up and say, God did this this week, God did this this week. It's important. Why? Because it reminds us that actually we serve an amazing God. It's a chance for us all to say, this far has the Lord helped us. So let me ask you, where are your marker points? Where are your Ebenezes? Where are your reminders, your prompts that, that will cause you to declare the goodness of God in your life? Where are those moments that you go back to and said, that's when God did this? Are there any stories that you, you're in danger of boring people with because you say the same things again and again? Why? Because it's all about the goodness of God. Let me tell you, they won't find it boring. Do you think the Israelites ever got bored of talking about the Exodus? I don't think so. Do we ever get bored of talking about the cross? No, we don't. Or the empty tomb? No, we don't. There's two Ebenezers for you. But we need to be deliberate about them because we're a forgetful people. The festivals, the stones, the reminders, they all pointed the nation back to God's intervention. And God, in his grace and kindness to us, has given us a very important reminder. uh, uh, Yeah, a reminder that we're meant to do regularly in order to remember what he's done. And so we're going to break bread together as a response this morning. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Notice again, the same sorts of reminders that the Israelites had. This is what you were. Sinners in need of a a savior on a cross. This is what God did. Intervened, broken body, shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is what you are. Are people who proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And it comes with a warning. We're to examine ourselves. We're to make sure that our hearts are right. This morning, any of us who know and love Jesus are welcome to have bread and wine. The table is open. We used to say in the Baptist church I grew up in. The table is open for any who love Jesus, but we must search ourselves. We must examine our hearts. And part of that examining this morning, I think, will be about remembering and being thankful to God for what he has done in our lives. So I'd like us to stand. I'm just going to give us a few moments to... Search our hearts. You can start thanking God for all that he's done in your life. Recalling those Ebenezer's, recalling those interventions of God, remembering his grace. In fact, let's just do that now and then I'll say what we'll do after that. Father God, we are so grateful for your hand in each of our lives. So, so thankful that we can see time and again, time and again, time and again, your intervention in our lives, your goodness towards us, your graciousness in drawing us to you. Thank you, Father, that each of us has moments that we can identify where you have broken in where you have brought peace where there wasn't peace, where we've known your presence in a real way, where we've known your help when we most needed it. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful and we're sorry as well. We're sorry when we so quickly forget. We're so sorry when instead of focusing on you, we focus on the storm around. We ask for your gracious forgiveness towards us. May you turn us into an ever-increasing thankful people. That our lives would be marked out with declarations of your goodness and your grace towards us. Father, even as we come now and remember in the way you told us to remember about your incredible sacrifice on the cross, would you speak to our hearts, Lord? May we see this afresh. May it not just be something that we've done before, but may it be a a, a time where we recall again your incredible grace and salvation. Your love for us. Thank you, Lord.